When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're delighted to be joined today by Sharon Maguire, director of Godmothered. And this is actually your second Christmas classic because, of course, Bridget Jones's diary as well. So uh, welcome back to Christmas movies. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think Bridget Jones, the diary, the first one, was never intended specifically as a sort of Christmas movie, even Mm. though it obviously was. But um, I think going into it, I thought, well, I think we have to make it somehow... Um, a little bit fairy tale like, and mm. so um, if we big, we bookend it at Christmas with snow, then um, you know instant fairy tale. Yeah. So um, so yes. <laughs> so then then I obviously got the bug for them, thinking ah because it sort of become it wasn't intended as a Christmas classic. Of course, it wasn't intended as that, but um, it's sort of on every Christmas now. Mm. So. Um, I, I kind of, I've got the bug for it. I thought, okay, I'm going to try another one. So, Well, this, I mean, I think if you put Colin Firth in a Christmas jumper in a film, then that's what you get. Absolutely, yeah. instant. There isn't, a week, there isn't a year that goes past that I don't uh, do an interview about the jumpers. Um, <laughs> so uh, just about the jumper itself, not often about the mm. movie, but the jumper itself. Compared to a lot of Christmas jumpers, it's actually quite a stylish one. I know it's meant to be, you know shameful that he's wearing it but honestly well I mean how do you choose the perfect Christmas jumper I mean it's not easy I can tell you that we went through I think we went through at the time we sent it out to about 20 different knitters around England (laughs) and they came back and uh, none of the designs were quite right they didn't sort of pop on camera I think Mm. um so eventually we decided that it'd be funny funnier if it was a moose and not a reindeer because moose (laughs) Moose are funnier than reindeer. That's a fact. That's fair. Yeah. And importantly, one moose and not multiple mooses, meese, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that are funnier, we discovered. And so the one that came back was just one moose on a, on a jumper. And um, I'm asked about it constantly. And this year I decided to ask Colin because I realised I'd never asked Colin about his memories of the jumper. So I did. And he sent me an email and he said... I remember the set was lit at about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. It melted candles and desiccated the turkey curry. I almost tore the jumper to pieces, pulling it off between takes. I probably lost about 15 pounds. I had little love for it by the end. And then he says, I have at times been unfairly blamed for subsequent surges in sales of Christmas sweaters. For whatever reason, I tend to break into a sweat at the sight of them. P.S. I never noticed it was a moose. So that's there you the, go. That's wow. the Christmas jumper. <laughs> this is the problem with Christmas jumpers. They're always too hot. I mean, was was that a problem on, on this film? Because you, you seem to be 
filming in slow in snowier weather, I think, than you know Bridget Jones was. Well, yeah, Godmothered is definitely set at Christmas. It's set in the week before Christmas, and it's set in Boston, which is mm-hmm. majorly snowy. I mean, majorly, majorly snowy, and you have to have snow. But unfortunately, as per usual, it didn't snow on the days we were filming. Oh, so you have to create your own snow, you know. So, right. um, but I mean, it's just a question of how much can you use fake snow? Can you use before the actors start choking to death, um, <laughs> or or it starts clumping in in cl- in sort of little clumps on top of their oh. head because it's made out of recycled paper so it sort of forms in little cones on the top of their heads and they're <laughs> also choking to death um oh, no. so it becomes quite annoyingly time consuming and expensive also for actors mm. and producers because you know that you're going to have to loop all the dialogue because the clanking noises of the snow machines drowns everything out oh, as no. well and Odds are the wind changes. The minute you yell action, the wind changes and the snow all blows out of frame. So it's it's quite a deal. I mean, nobody knows. Nobody knows, Helen, just how hard no. it is to make a Christmas movie. I mean, you know, yeah. you may think these it. are first world problems, but <laughs> they're not. That's, I mean, snow is a real... It's one of the things you hear from from filmmakers. It's not you know, don't work with children and animals so much, which you did and which we should also talk about. But it's 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 things like snow that drive people absolutely mad. Yes, I think it did on this movie. It did drive people mad because <laughs> even, even though we were usually standing in slushy Boston snow, Boston this year had very little snow by comparison to other years. So it was like sod's law. We thought, come on. But no, it didn't snow. So we had to create snow. And then the wind blew it all away. And then we had to use a lot of, um, you know, we had to put snow on in post as Uh well. So there was so much snow. I have never talked about snow so much in my entire life. So So not planning on a winter vacation anytime soon. Nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've lost my love for fairy tale snow, oh. I think. Yeah. Oh. So Um but this is I mean, this is a full on fairy tale. You know, if if Bridget Jones has fairy tale qualities, which I absolutely agree it does, this one goes literally fairy tale, literal fairy godmother turning up. And I've got to ask actually, was it always a Christmas movie? Because it felt felt like, you know, this could have been just a sort of enchanted and she turns up in the middle of summer or something. So what what was it about the Christmas setting that made that right? I know it was always Christmas. And this one has all the week. And and this was intended when I signed up for it, I thought, well, this I'm going to try and make a Christmas classic because this has all the ingredients of a Christmas classic. And I love Christmas movies. So, but in our house, the three favourites are Elf, Enchanted and uh, Groundhog Day, which isn't necessarily at Christmas, but it's our favourite movie to watch on Christmas. So, and this uh, Godmother, the script, when I was sent it, had all those elements in it. Some, Some bits of Elf, some bits of Enchanted, some bits of Groundhog Day, because it's set in a local news station. I love the world of local news. So um, I thought, well, I'm going to, I think, and, and it has woodland creatures and it has magic that goes wrong and it has wands and it has a, has princes and ball gowns. I thought, well, this has got every element of a Christmas classic and snow. So um, this is the one, but yes, it's, it's, you know, and children, there's something for everybody. There's children, there's older people, I'll call them older people. Um, <laughs> Uh, and there's snow and there's and there was you know Boston in the snow so how should I put it 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 multiplied all those snow issues even more because mm. you're asking 
we were asking our lovely fairy godmother, Eleanor, played by Gillian Bell, to stand in the middle of a pumpkin patch in minus five degrees in the snow in a pink chiffon dress, you know, and, and asking her, please, can you stop your teeth chattering on camera? Because we can see that. So um, <laughs> that's, that's not much fun. Not easy to do, but she managed mm. it. So, yes, we were outside a lot and it was freezing with children. And yeah. little animals, a little piglet. We had our own little woodland creature, a little piglet, because we couldn't afford to have all CGI woodland creatures. We've got a very good CGI woodland creature called Gary a raccoon, uh, but the piglet we had to do for real. And just by virtue of the fact that he was a piglet, sorry, she, she was a piglet she? and untrained like our fairy oh, godmother, um, things definitely went wrong constantly. Mm. I don't think I've ever encountered as much contempt as I have from a cast and crew as when I sort of stood up behind the monitor each time and said, one more time for the pig, please. Oh, you know, no. so um, because <laughs> the pig just went with nature. It truffled into the actor's crotches. It, it truffled into thighs. It squealed loudly over all of their dialogue. It randomly just got up out of a master shop and walked away. Um, but it was she was adorable. Her name it's was Yanni. A, it's a very cute pig on screen. It, it she really is. is. Yeah, she's she really is, good. Yeah. Took hours and hours to get her to sit still, but uh, but she was worth it. I think. So you won't be making Babe Three uh, anytime <laughs> soon, then. No? I would love to make Babe Three. Babe <laughs> One is one of my favourite movies of all time. So absolutely, it's another cl- another class. Not a Christmas movie, but just a any any day of the week movie, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, tell me about the cast, though, as well, because I love Gillian Bell. I, I think she's fantastic because she's been a scene stealer for ages. And then I think Brittany Runs a Marathon was her first lead before this. Mm. But, um, you know, what was it that made her the f- perfect fairy godmother? Well, we definitely wanted to... I mean, the, the uh, main reason I wanted to do the movie was that it you get to have that wonderful Disney legacy, but the whole mm. point of the script is it subverts it as well. It mm. subverts all those tropes, those magic tropes of Disney, the wands, the magic, the um, the princes, the ball gown. And, and the message of it is uh, the happily ever after message is subverted as well. So that was yeah. one of the main reasons I wanted to do it. So we needed a fairy godmother, who's our main character, who also subverted convention in that way. Mm. So we couldn't go, it didn't, I didn't feel right to go with someone who you might expect to be a um, Disney fairy godmother. And Gillian comes from a, a sort of indie comedy background really mm-hmm. she's got a, a kind of nice indie edge which we wanted to bring to that cast and really that's that was I think because of the tone of the humor which is as I say subverts the Disney legacy a bit we, we tried that with lots of the cast we went for Jane Curtin who's mm. a, a legend um, who was the first woman comedian on SNL and we've got uh, June Squibb, who I've always wanted to work with my whole life. Um, again, she comes from a kind of subversive comedy indie world, and so that was the that was the idea of of the casting there. Mm-hmm. And I think Gillian and Gillian was excited to play it as well because she really wanted to. She, she never thought she'd be asked to play a fairy, a Disney fairy godmother. So. Mm-hmm. She get immediately start wand practice and you know getting the perfect flick. <laughs> mm. 
So the pressure was on, but we all had kind of lots of fun going, mm, I don't think the dress has got enough petticoat. And um, <laughs> I think we need the one to look a bit more elemental. And, you know, we really got carried away with the whole thing. So um, and how the magic should look. And, mm. you know, so it was it was great fun to do a big learning curve for me. I've not really had to do magic before. So, mm. you know, as a director, that was fun. I get to do usually I get to do sort of live modern comedy so this yeah. was this was something new and exciting and I got to play with lots of his effects and lots of special effects I got to you know blow up you know fields of pumpkins with dynamite I mean which was probably the most <laughs> thrilling experience I've ever had as a director it makes me want to do a war movie next you know so um, you're going to be the next Michael Bay now just blowing up more stuff <laughs> just blow shit up yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, it, but it is important to get the kind of the, the, the girly, glittery, sequiny side of this, right? I mean, did, did, you, did you go through many tubs of glitter in the costume department, do you think? <laughs> yes, yes. The answer is yes. I mean, it's, it's strange. We've got, you've got that app on my phone, you know, the memories app, and it comes up with photos of this time last year. And this time last year, there were so many prototypes for, for the fairy godmother dress. And there were oh. so many prototypes for the dress that um, Isla Fisher gets poofed into. And I mean, there was just, it went on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> and then we had a whole fairy godmother school, you know, because it starts in a fairy godmother academy in a sort of gothic world. So we had to get all of their uniforms mm. right. Um, and so, yes, and it's a lot of pressure handing that stuff into Disney because they take that stuff really seriously as they should. So you hand it in and you go, is it, is it going to pass? Um, and luckily we passed, so Excellent. that was good. Yeah, you can't just wave a wand and go bibbidi bobbidi boo. I suppose there's a bit more work goes into the real world version. Yeah, you wanted. I, mean, I got I got yeah. very caught up in in something about the dresses having an inner life. I don't know what I was on at the time, but um, <laughs> I just felt that these dresses didn't need to just look chintzy. They needed to look as if they were genuinely old. You know, they needed to look as if they were genuinely from gothic times and that they might have been dyed with rose petals or blueberries or something like that. I think everyone just thought I was, you know, off my tree. But I thought that stuff was important. I thought it was important that in a way you don't see it as a comic confection on screen, that you try, that you believe it. I mean, you might have to be just six or seven years old to do that, but, uh, you know, that it was important that you felt that that world they, where the fairy godmothers come from, it's real, you know, mm. that's a real world. And yes, yeah. anyway. And it can be too kind of garish and perfect in some, you, you do sometimes see kind of, you know, sometimes on stage and sometimes on screen, you see these um, fabulous costumes from a different time period, but they look, too sharp or something or too yeah, exactly. bright and it just it does take you out of it I, I kind of think I agree with exactly. you on that yeah. yes thank yeah. you Ellen I wasn't that <laughs> mad was I no it makes sense although um Isla Fisher's dress was a lot I mean that was sort of full-on Marie Antoinette's you know at her height that <laughs> and she looked like but yeah well we had to go with a kind of we had to go slightly over top on, on that one that was the first time Eleanor got a spell right and um, a ball gown spell, right? And she loved it. But uh, Isla Fisher character Mac Mackenzie, she thought she looked like Ginger Elvis, which indeed she did. I so. mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but I think she she hits the sweet spot a little little bit later. Now this will be with a marked with a spoiler warning. But you know, when she does the dress for the daughter, like that's a genuinely lovely party dress. Like it's yes. 
she's she's kind of hit the the sweet spot on that one. Yeah, she did. But we tried to sort of like, and we met, tried to make it a bit modern. So it was a sort of, you know, a beautiful party dress, and it was slightly classic in style. But she had some. Uh, sort of bother boots on with it so we, we tried to sort of modernize that one a bit give it a bit of a twist yeah well yeah something that she would actually want to wear I think yeah. as well I mean, I mean tell me about the uh, the younger members of the cast I won't call them child actors or whatever but you know they I thought they were magnificent and could sing so you've you've got to find somebody I guess who has you know at least as a double threat if not a triple threat for that role yeah, they did, and they both auditioned a few times for it. And um, Willa Skye, who plays the ten-year-old, she plays mm. um, she plays Mia uh, in it, and she's this gorgeous redhead who just exudes charm. I mean, mm. she's just the most charming little girl you've ever met. Very kind and very professional. You know, she would come on with improvised lines. She would come on, and she'll come on with ideas, and she'll say, "Let me try this choice on you," and and it was just like. You can't usually get that from adult actors, you know. So, And she was just adorable. I mean, really adorable. And I was out in Boston for nine months um, mm. without my own 10-year-old. So um, oh. she was my stand-in 10-year-old and um, just gorgeous and cuddly and wonderful. And I think she's going to be great. I think she is. She's, you know, some people just do have have it or don't have it, mm. and she has it in spades. So, um, And then Gillian Spader... Mm who I didn't realise is this sort of phenomenon on TikTok. Um, I didn't realise that because I don't do anything like that. But I've since realised she's got millions of followers on TikTok. Amazing. And she's not only a brilliant actress, but she can sing too. And she sings with real soul and has got an un- quite an unconventional voice, mm. you know. And I thought she was amazing. She auditioned several times and she just they just brought truth to it. I mean, what they, Gillian's role didn't have to bring so much humour. I mean, Mia, uh, Willa Skye, the 10-year-old, had to bring, had to bring truth and service the comedy, you know, and that's no easy thing to do when you're a grown-up, never mind a a child. So that's why I think she did an amazing job. You know, Gillian's role was, you know, she was, she wanted to do comedy, but her role was have to bring this sort of sadness and heart to it. So she would be trying to squeeze in a funny line or going, no, your character just wouldn't. Oh. So <laughs> but you're right. She, I mean, she kind of is the heart of the, of the film and her relationship with her mum is, it's really heartbreaking, but it feels real as well. It feels, mm. you know, her mum is trying her best to look out for her, but perhaps a little bit too much and is, is actually holding her back, which That's I thought was right. massively realistic and, and sort of relatable, I think, for everyone. Yeah, I know we've all done that, especially when your kid's in the school play. Um, no. Oh, no, oh no, you know, I think I'm going to talk him out of picking his nose on stage um, next time, that sort of thing. You know. <laughs> but it's his expression, it's his expression, it's fine. <laughs> I do want to talk about the leads as well, because Isla Fisher is fantastic and I haven't really seen her play anything like this before, it feels like she's, I don't know if, if she's actually played a mum very much on screen, has she? Well, this is it. I think she hasn't. And that's exactly why I wanted to go for her. I know her a little bit. I mm. knew when we have friends in common and that sort of thing. So yeah. I know that she has this acerbic side. And I know she's a, an amazing mother of three and a very mm. devoted mother of three. And uh, But I've not seen her play, uh, you know, a, an acerbic, sardonic single mum before. Mm. And um, so that's why I was keen to 
see if she would say yes. And she's not used to playing what she would call the straight role. Mm. But I mean, she I don't see it as a straight role. I see her as like the Bill Murray character in Groundhog Day. You know, um, it, it's quite sardonic, but, you know, that makes me smile, that type of role. So um, she hadn't done that before. So it was it was a sort of big step for her as well. But she was very keen to do it because she wanted to do a Disney movie for her kids and um, <laughs> especially get into that princess dress as well. Mm. So... Um, which she did, and um, but I did. She carried it very well because she's wonderful at at selling a zinger, and and the character does have zinger lines at times, and she's she's very good at doing that. But you know, she has to mainly bring a lot of heart to it as well. It's quite a nuanced role. You know, she's a a sort of impatient, frustrated mum who works at a fifth-rate news station in a terrible job with a terrible boss, and yet she still has to go home and try to be understanding to her sullen teenager and, um, you know, her other child who's not doing so well at school. It's, it's great sullen teenager acting as well, though. Yeah, just good the at that. Staring she's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, in, in perhaps the biggest stretch of the casting, you have Santiago Cabrera playing a bit of a nerd, um, which <laughs> I, I'll be honest, that took me out of the movie more than The Fairy Godmother for a minute there. I was a bit like, oh, I'm not sure I'll buy this. <laughs> well, I didn't really recognise him as, I mean, he's sort of known from the guy from Big Little Lies, isn't he? That's what a lot of people in America knew him from. But I didn't really recognise him as... In our movie as as that character which is which was you know a conscious decision um but he is when you meet him he is he speaks with an english accent his father is english and he um i think he was a diplomat his father so he spent a lot of his time you know going traveling around the world with his parents and so he was quite english and quite earnest which i just thought hooray because <laughs> that's what we need for this character you know mm. we need him to be a little bit earnest and and he played that really well and and i think yeah because he was english he was able to you know find the constipated element to that character really <laughs> so uh yeah. and i thought i was just delighted by that transformation because he is definitely a whole other character when you see him on screen in things especially in mm. american shows yeah and, and i mean think, I'm, th- I'm thinking of things like you know aramis in the three musketeers yes. and you know he's he's basically han solo in picard essentially yes. you know so he's he's got that kind of edge to him in a lot of things and it's, it's nice to see him do something different actually but it was a bit of a ooh, shock <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had his sort of sexy Superman glasses on, didn't he? You know, <laughs> take away those ridiculous Hollywood good looks, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, he just needs to, you know, take off his glasses, ruffle mm. his hair, you know, and we're there, hundred percent. I managed to persuade him to take the glasses off in one scene. So, uh, but he he would only take them off if he was insisted on uh, doing the whole scene wrapping an elastoplast or a band aid round the glasses. So, you know, it slightly took the, the sexiness away from it, which is mm. important. Important in a Disney film not to be sexy. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
what are your favourite memories of, of filming? Were there any sort of days on location that stand out to you? Any, any favourite locations? Definitely the favourite location. It's so easy was blowing up that field of pumpkins. Because you know, <laughs> literally it was rigging a whole field with dynamite. You know, so it was just zigzag dynamite all the way through, wow. which I forgot about at one point and went running across it with a lot of people going, no, 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 stop her. So, oh, no. you know, could have been kaboom, end of director. So um, um, so we, we rigged the whole field with dynamite. We had, I think, because it was not season, we shot it in February and pumpkins are only in season in sort of November, December. Mm. We had them in storage in freezing and then when we got them out we had hundreds of them they all dissolved except I think the 50 that were left so we had one chance to blow them up and we had four cameras I think and everybody was standing by and I was so scared at yelling action because I thought if it goes wrong or the camera is not focused or whatever it is you know endless things that go on that's it Mm. we can't do it again and then as I say Gillian was standing at the other end of a field in a silk chiffon dress shivering and uh, and then I yelled action and then it just went boom 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 but it was just like one after the other and they were so loud and um (laughs) it was just like electric and uh, I just thought that's the best experience I think I've ever had you know bar none (laughs) (laughs) and it was in focus so uh, well I mean yeah no a a definite advantage a definite advantage and you had to finish the film post the the beginning of the pandemic you know you had to finish it in 2020 which is you know doing anything in 2020 is pretty difficult but that must have been hard I know it really was um we had we were shut down four days before we'd finished filming so um because of covid obviously and um so then there was the sort of how to fill in the missing bits was quite interesting so but a mixture of both vis effects and and then at the end animation yeah helped us to do that but yeah but also you know it was quite terrifying being over there in boston filming that as covid was sort of getting underway and we had you know half our cast were over 75 so course, it was yeah. quite scary you know thinking oh lordy please don't let me kill anybody you know and <laughs> um and children and animals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so i think it was right that we were shut down when we when we were so um we were a lot luckier than other people other movies who other productions who were only just getting going and uh, were shut down so yeah so that we we'd done enough to be able to put the movie together and finish it so that was lucky yeah I mean you really can't see the joins I I assumed that the animation stuff had been intended from the beginning because it feels like that kind of movie it feels right for it yeah it was interesting because we had talked about animation um for it and then we thought no we'll go with live action and then once that happened we went now let's go back to the animated idea you know (laughs) I'd imagine there's quite a lot of there'll be lots more animation this year and next year Mm. I'd imagine because of Covid so it's lucky that you can and but to try and um, you know just embark upon animation for Disney Mm. at the last second was quite the pressure was on to and then to embark upon 2D animation for Disney Mm -hmm. You know, it's the home of animation, really. So um, that was quite scary. But we had an amazing company here in the UK called AKA. And um, they did that animation for us and in the sort of Disney style that we wanted, but also gave it a little modern twist. Mm. So, yeah, that was the pressure. As I say, the pressure was on, but it was kind, kind of exciting. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think you did it. You, you did. It feels Disney, but it does also feel not Disney at the same time. It feels a little bit, a bit less. I wasn't. I was going to say cookie cutter, but that, I don't think that's fair to Disney. But you know, yeah. it's a little bit less tied into the fairy tale tropes, let's say, yeah. than Disney's of times past. That's right. It is, well, I think that's the ultimate compliment: is Disney and not Disney. There you go. That's what we were <laughs> aiming for. So that's good. Well, just just to finish up then, this because this is you know what I ask everybody. Um, tell me about Christmas at your house. Do, you know, so you've you've told me the films that you have to watch every year. You know, do you have any unusual Christmas traditions uh, that people should know and consider for themselves? Unusual. I don't think we have an unusual Christmas. It, it usually goes like this. There's I've got two boys, sixteen and uh, eleven. And my mother will be here. She'll be 93, but we'll have all the doors and windows open because it's COVID. So um, that should be interesting. Uh, So we've got a 93-year-old and we go right down to 11 and then all the ones in between. And as I say, it will be, well, should it be Elf? Should it be Enchanted? Or or should it be, you know, Groundhog Day? But this year we can say, you know, or should it be Godmothered? And they'll all go, no, because they've seen (laughs) enough of it. Because I was chained to my sofa editing it for months oh, no. here. So they've seen it backwards, forwards, sideways. So they'll be like, no, not Godmothered. <laughs> so, but I hope the rest of the, I hope the rest of the nation tunes in to Godmothered this holiday season. This holiday so. season, exactly. On <laughs> Disney Plus, everybody. Yes. Um, yeah, check it out. Well, listen, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. And uh, yeah, what are you doing next? What, what should people be looking out for? Is there anything you're ready to announce yet or...? Uh, there's two things on the back burner. There's a, a, a movie called Longbourn, which is a stu- for Studio Canal, which is another retelling of Pride and Prejudice, but from the servant's point of view, um, uh, which is which is good. So that's on. Hopefully, that will go next year with COVID, COVID. Uh, pending. Yeah. And then there's a. Uh, I'm writing a movie for Sony which is based on, well, it's based on this book here because I'm sitting oh. doing it now. Uh, it's called An Excellent Choice by Emma oh, yes. Brocks, and she's a, a Guardian journalist. And so um, I'm, it's a comedy based on her memoir. Amazing. And that's about single motherhood, is that right? It is. It's uh, her path to single motherhood and a lot more in between. Well, listen, can't wait to see one or both of those, hopefully in the very near future, COVID permitting. But yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Helen. enjoyed listening to Bar Humbug, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps other people find the show. You can also subscribe so you automatically get the rest of this podcast lined up hassle-free and it's only going to be a limited run up to Christmas. It won't be using up all your data. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can pre-order my book, Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, which comes out in February 2021. You can also, of course, find me in Empire Magazine, which is the world's best film magazine for my money. And I'm on the Empire podcast every week and host the podcast, His Darker Materials, to coincide with BBC HBO drama, His Dark Materials. If you'd like to connect with me or comment on the show or have any queries or comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Helen L. O'Hara, or you can email producers at stripped.media. And I'd like to thank all the people who have made this podcast happen. Thanks to all the team at Strip Media, including Ben Williams, who edits this podcast, as well as Tom Wally, Dave Corkery and Kobe Omanaka, who have all helped produce and put this show together. Thanks also to all of my guests who have been absolutely wonderful in giving up their time to watch some Christmas films that are not always 100% great. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and others produced by Strip Media, 
please visit www.stripped.media to find out more. And that's it. Merry Christmas. You just heard a Stripped Media production. 